Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Right, so we are going to continue this morning in 2 Corinthians and uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6, there, there is some overlap. I, I did say last time that uh, this is a single letter, so it's very difficult for us to uh, tackle the entire letter in one go. So we do it in in, in uh, pieces or in sections. So I want to go back a little bit today just in terms of the reading to chapter 5 and verse 20. And we'll pick it up from there. So 2 Corinthians, our focus will be chapter 6, but from verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech, the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, uh, to you Corinthians. Our Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. You are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So just so far, the reading of God's word uh, that we will consider. Lord, we do pray as uh, we always do. An acknowledgement, not out of habit, but out of need, that Lord, we pray for your spirit to be at work in us, and Lord, particularly as again we come through your word today, help me in the words that I speak to be clear and simple and accurate, and Lord, for each of us that we would receive and indeed have open hearts to your word, and Lord, very specifically to your grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to this morning again... Uh, make a reference to cars in uh, uh, this introduction. A reference to cars to help me uh, introduce this passage that we're going to consider this morning in chapter 6. 
There are, I'm sure, in every city, but certainly in our city, some second-hand car salesmen. Okay, I think you're aware of these places. I think down what used to be Zambezi Road, lots of second-hand car salesmen. Some of them have a reputation of selling dud cars to prospective sellers. They may tell you that this car is a good runner. I don't know if you've ever heard that. She's a beauty. Can't go wrong with this car. But uh, they could have put some banana skins in the differential. Uh, maybe you don't know, but that actually quietens a differential where the gears are dysfunctional or problematic. Or maybe the car had been in a particularly bad accident, but they won't tell you. They'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you everything you need to hear to purchase this car. You see, they're more interested in selling you the car for their benefit to get cash in their pockets, even if it is a really bad vehicle. I'm going to try and develop this illustration, but it's not about selling cars. I'm going to get to the passage. Okay. My point is, if you want to buy a second-hand car... There are two very important matters that you need to be sure of. Number one, you want to find someone who tells the truth. That, I mean, that just makes sense. If, if you know more accurately the condition and, and the details of what's going on in that particular car, you're in a better position to make an informed decision. Well, is this a good buy or is this a bad buy? So that's number one. Number two, Find someone you can trust. You would have far greater peace of mind when you know you're dealing with somebody who has integrity. Now, perhaps putting it a little bit differently, there are two aspects crucial to considering buying a second-hand car. It's number one, accurate message, which is truth. And number two, you want an upright, reliable messenger, integrity. Truth and integrity. Now I want to go to the passage. So in matters of reconciliation with God, the stakes are high. This is not about getting a dud car. It's not about getting banana skins in your differential. This is about eternity. This is about the safety of your soul. This is about the reality of being reconciled to God. You want to be sure that you're not being led astray by a self-serving, second-hand car salesman-type preacher. You better be sure that the preacher proclaims truth with integrity. Now, in much of the previous chapter, we saw the Apostle Paul and his co-workers claiming to be ambassadors for Christ. Reliable messengers representing Christ unashamedly declaring the message of the gospel of reconciliation between God and sinful men, and, and very clearly in this passage, twice in fact, uh, speaking about the penal substitutionary death and, and, and work of Christ. So there are no gray areas. There's no sort of self-serving, tap-dancing, uh, unlike what Paul said in, in chapter 2, verse 17, not like so many peddlers of God's word. But the Apostle Paul and his companions are forthrightly and willingly stating the truth. 
reliable messengers, reliable truth or accurate message. And again in verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, messenger and message. One would expect that the subject can be closed. But again we find that this matter is not settled. The people are still struggling. Paul is aware that they, they, they are concerned about him. They're suspicious about him as a messenger, and they're concerned about some of the teaching that he was bringing to them. They were not open to his teaching. Part of the reason for their suspicion and their skepticism is into their mind of things, the repeated troubles and miseries in his life, in their lives as apostles, conveyed the impression and perhaps even provided evidence of God's displeasure of their ministry. If these bad things keep happening to you, that must mean that God is not with you, that God doesn't have his hand upon you. And so Paul here has to embark on another defense of his ministry. And he's pressing them again, quoting, he's saying to them, now is the time of salvation. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 49 verse 8, they must not receive the grace of God in vain. I struggled uh, really to try and get the flow of logic in this passage. But eventually finding that this next phrase is absolutely crucial. What does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? Well, the, the word vain mean, has the meaning without purpose or result. In other words, for nothing. Or it, 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 it is argued to receive God's grace in vain is it's not so much to reject it. It's not even to neglect it, but it's to receive it with no profit to receive it without any of the intended effect being achieved. So it's a saying we're receiving grace, but there's no evidence, there's, the, there's no proof, there, there's no fruit. And what we're going to see here today is the gospel does have an intended effect. There, there is fruit that ought to result when someone is a recipient of saving grace, there's evidence to prove it. And so Paul goes on here now to show in his case, in the case of the apostles that were going through these difficulties, that endurance, that's, that's the key uh, uh, reality of this passage, that endurance through multiple variegated troubles proves authenticity. It proves the authenticity of the message and the messenger and, and, and Paul goes on and, and says it's the reason that the Corinthians ought to open their hearts to him and his message. And so he says in verse 3, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. Now, that's what we're going to be thinking about for the rest of this message. I have one point this morning, one main point. 
endurance speaks volumes about authenticity. You see, maybe go back to the illustration of a car. Another lesson to learn about cars or washing machines if you're a lady. Genuine pots last longer than cheaper pirate pots. Okay, I don't know if you're aware of that term pirate pot. You see, a pirate pot may look like the genuine pot, but you never know. You never know. It may have been made with inferior steel. It may not have had the right kind of metallurgical treatment, heat treatment, or case hardening. It might not have been made with the specified parameters in terms of tolerance or measurements. In fact, I went onto the website and I thought, well, I drive a Toyota, and my Toyota's got 280,000 kilometers on it. It has genuine parts. Okay, so according to Toyota, you will be able to enjoy a long-lasting vehicle with genuine parts. They go on. These parts are made to last, unlike counterfeit parts, unlike pirate parts. In fact, the original equipment manufacturer, OEM parts, have been subjected to various tests, such as durability tests, the test for wear, and for resistance to corrosion. Endurance has to do with the genuine article. You see, the Apostle Peter writing to persecuted believers who literally have had to scatter and run for their lives, says to them something similar. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, Who by God's power, these are them, the believers, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you're being grieved by various trials. That's their situation. That's that they're going through. But then he says in verse 7, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. What is Paul saying to these Corinthians this morning, to us? Endurance through adversity is the overarching quality of authentic faith and ministry. You see, the natural inclination for us as people is to flee when difficulty arises. I thought of Jesus telling his disciples how to distinguish the hired hand from the true shepherd, just indicating the same kind of lesson. And I'll read the passage in John chapter 10, verse 12. He who is the hired hand, now, in other words, he's not the genuine thing. He's not the real shepherd. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming. You see, there's danger. And he leaves the sheep and he flees, he runs. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. John Stott, I think many of you would know John Stott as an Anglican author, evangelical Anglican author and speaker. He 
has now passed away. Uh, in his biography, he makes a profession or confession uh, regarding how he sometimes felt in the course of his ministry, a ministry where he really had to fight the uphill battle for truth. He says, uh, well, the first temptation to which I'm exposed, I think, is to run away, not to give in, but to, what is the word? To leave. I sometimes say my favorite text is from Psalm 55. Oh, for the wings of a dove that I may flee and be at rest. So I found this constant controversy, this constant battling for the truth very weary. But looking back at his life, despite this admission, John Stott endured to the very end. The enduring of his faith, the endurance through difficulty, authenticates or proves the, authentic, the authenticity of his faith and his ministry. And folks, we, we're not exempted. We, 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 have, we face hardship in, in life. We, we face hardship in, in ministry. We, you, you will be tested. I will be tested. And, and we will be tempted to run away. Leave it alone. I'll go and have church at home. Uh, uh, on my couch, and, and I'm going to watch the stream. I don't want to deal with people. Uh, people are difficult to deal with. If you're in the thick of the storm, and God is carrying you, you should be encouraged. That's the message that Paul is, is, is bringing here this morning. You need to know that you've not received the grace of God in vain. See that? The, the intended effect of being held in the hand of God is evident. So the hardship in Paul and his co-workers' life is, is not that God is not pleased with them. It's not because God is not present with them. <laughs> in fact, the opposite. The endurance through trouble and hardship is demonstrating God is with them. He's carrying them. I don't even notice this passage let me give you the statistic. 28 descriptions following the word endurance. I could have had a 28-point sermon this morning. I thought I would not do that. But if you break up the 28 into different groups, the first 18 are introduced with the word in. That's in various circumstances. Then the next three by the word through. And the final seven by the word as. And I'm going to put them into groups. My own groups that I've tried to uh, analyze them in. And each time I'm going to introduce a group with the following phrase. You, me, like Paul and other ministry workers, enduring through hardship and difficulty and, and speak volumes. There's a message communicated about God-wrought genuineness of your faith and ministry. First one, or the first group, I've called in multiple troubles. <laughs> These servants of God were subjected to being battered from all angles. I don't know how else to put it. And uh, there are, there's a triplet here, or a trio of general troubles. He calls them in affliction, in hardship, in calamities. Uh, 
And, and the reality is they were experiencing what Jesus had said, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so what are these troubles? Because they're troubles we uh, sometimes face. Illness. That's a reality. Our bodies are frail, our bodies are weak, we face difficulty. It's a trouble common to men. Sometimes it has to do with daily provision. Just not having enough to cope with and, and to live with. And, and, and it, it could have to be, and I thought of the Apostle Paul and them uh, struggling with a shipwreck. Horrific weather conditions. Sometimes people struggle in, in life just simply because it's either too hot or too cold or it's flooding or it's famine or whatever it may be. So there are these general troubles that confront us. The second triplet, uh, troubles... Uh, from others. That sometimes happens, doesn't it? Listen to, to these from verse, uh, uh, yeah, same chapter following verse there, five times, and oh no, I'm jumping myself over here, beatings, imprisonments, riots. It was what was done to them. And we know that. And the passage I had in my mind here was five times Paul says, I received from the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. In other words, he was beaten. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Now, you also, in life and in ministry, encounter trouble that you have nothing to do with, but somebody else is inflicting it on you. It could be what people are saying about you, slander. It could be that people are excluding you or marginalizing you, marginalizing or misrepresenting you or personally attacking you. So those are troubles. And then there's another triplet or trio, self-inflicted trouble. Sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. We look at the Apostle Paul, we know that he willingly worked to the point of exhaustion. We know that he was at times going without sleep, skipping meals to do gospel ministry. Those are decisions that he took, but, but brought trouble into his life. It was sent, said by one of the church fathers, Clement of Rome, of Paul. This is when Paul, of course, had died. He said, he writes a tribute. He says, when he had borne this testimony before rulers... So he departed from the world and went unto the holy place, heaven, having been found a notable pattern of endurance. Now, here's a very, very important point. It would be a mistake to conclude thinking of Paul, what a man. That's what a lot of people may think. What a great man. This man who faced perpetual hardship, always enduring. The right conclusion is not what a man, is what a God. That's the point. This God, holding, keeping, carrying, comforting, encouraging, because the apostle had not received the grace of God in vain. And so the point to see here is Paul's sufferings did not disqualify him. It proved the God-wrought authenticity of his faith and commitment. Now at this point, I think there's a, an important application for us. We all have 
family members, I think most of us would have family members and friends, perhaps neighbors, that we would love to see converted to Christ. And so from time to time, we share the gospel with them, and it seems like it's water off a duck's back. They don't listen, they don't care. And so the application that I want us to think about, is it not true that so often our words are ignored by others? They just don't care what we say. But when they see how we respond to hardship, it speaks volumes, positively or negatively. You say you're a believer, and so there's this difficult thing, this hardship, this trouble that happens, and there's this unexpected response. And it makes them think, but, but this is not normal. This is not human. And so how we respond to hardship by enduring, trusting God, speaks volumes into people's lives because they cannot deny there must be something more to this than just you. It must be God. Moving on then to the second area of trouble. When you, like Paul and his co-workers, endure hardship, it speaks volumes about God-wrought genuineness in the demonstration of spirit-given graces. You see, as I indicated earlier, forgive me for my use of cars. You know, Carol used to rebuke me. She used to say to me, why don't you use illustrations that women understand? Genuine car parts. What makes a genuine car part a good and enduring part? It has everything to do with the manufacturer. Isn't it? You see, it would be wrong to urge someone in the midst of their difficulties, say, man, just hang in there for dear life. Grit your teeth. Endure hardship. Because that's then going to authenticate your faith. Now, that's not... That applies to runners. If you're a long-distance runner, you need to have a strong head. You need to be determined. You need to have a strong will so that even when you're enduring pain, you want to get to the end. It's different with faith. The fight of faith, running the race of life as a believer, is about the manufacturer's work of grace in your life. Don't forget Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship, believers. We are of God's making. We are his works of art, if you like. Created in Christ Jesus. And so Paul can write in this passage that we're looking at, being servants of God, commending ourselves in every way by great endurance, not because of us, But you'll notice included from verse 6 onwards, he has a whole list of virtues. But the Holy Spirit is there. The power of God is there. And so while it is true we take responsibility, we do so as those who have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and we have access to the power of God to enable us to endure. It's made me think. I don't know how many of you have heard of a preacher by the name of Charles Simeon. 
is an 18th century, also Anglican uh, preacher in Cambridge. And uh, why he came to mind is because I never want to endure what he endured. He was appointed to be the rector of, uh, of a church in Cambridge, and the members and leaders were not happy with his appointment. So they locked the pews. And anybody that wanted to come and listen to Charles Simeon had to stand in the aisles to listen to him preach. Not for weeks, not for months, for years. And eventually, things changed in the church. But the point is, instead of running away, which would be the human thing to do, he just carried on preaching. God enabled him to endure. And eventually that ministry flourished and had a tremendous influence in that particular city and generation. And, and he endured why? Because he was a man of God's making. His faith was of God's making. He was a recipient of grace, the presence of the Spirit, the power of God evident in his life. I think I've got two more points. When you like Paul and his co-workers endure hardship, it speaks volumes about... God wrought genuineness, genuineness in the upside-down events of life. You get to a section from verse 8, second half of 8, where Paul lists seven paradoxes. Uh, they read, the first of each paradox reads like a catastrophe, and in fact it's catastrophe after catastrophe. I'll just separate the first ones and give you the idea. Uh, as impostors, as unknown, as dying, as punished, as sorrowful, as poor, as having nothing. Each one of those experiences would be unwanted. It's things that should not be. These are things that we would consider to be upside down, the wrong way around. We don't expect them to happen to us. We don't like it when they happen to us. We, but notice the second half of each catastrophe shows triumph. We are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown, yet as well known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. So, so what Paul is saying here, there's a dimension to the life of a true believer that you don't always see at first glance. There's more to be seen in the experience of your life. That hymn we sang this morning, uh, the new hymn, kind of was communicating this message. Let, let me give you some examples. Imposters. We Christians are seen to be imposters, or a phrase that I've learned from Al Mola, we are on the wrong side of history when it comes to the moral revolution where the world is at at the moment. We're imposters because we're not going with the flow. Okay, thinking, our thinking and behavior is not in line with the kingdom of darkness. That's actually the point. So, so many people may describe you if you hold particular views on what is a woman or what is a man. You're a bigot. But you see, the point is, there's a bigger picture. Not so from the kingdom of light. Not so from that which is according to God and what is pleasing to God. Another one. Does it matter 
that you and me, we, we're unknown, most of us anyway. We're kind of ordinary people, not really significant in our city or our country. Does that matter that you're not known if God knows you? God, eternal, majestic, glorious, infinite, eternal. He knows you individually, specifically, and he loves you. Not known, but known. Here's another one. We will die, all of us. Many have been martyred. But isn't it true that we will never die? I'm the resurrection and the life, said Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. Do, do you see the, 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 the paradoxes that, that, that those who endure need to understand, even though superficially on the surface it looks like this, but in reality it's like that. There's another one. We are sorrowful in grief, but we rejoice with hope. I was thinking again, and I quoted this in a previous sermon. I know if this is just obviously where I'm at in my life. The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man died. You know the story. Ended up in agony. Luke chapter 16 verse 20. And at his gate was laid a poor man. Who wants to be a beggar at a gate? He's named Lazarus. Covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died. Was carried by the angels to Abram's side. Poor? Yes. Rich? Forever. The Apostle Paul, poor in the eyes of the world, but the truth of the matter, he was used by God, is still being used by God to bring news of the gospel message to many, making many rich. Having nothing or little in worldly treasures, one could go on, and yet having an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. Right, one more. When you, like Paul and his co-workers, endure hardship, it speaks volumes about God-wrought genuine uh, faith in having nothing to hide and everything to give. Now, the point I'm wanting to make here is I see that the Apostle Paul is unashamed about his difficulties. If ever you have the privilege of putting your ear in at a pastor's fraternal, you will find the tendency among us pastors is to parade success. Every pastor is just telling the other pastor how wonderful it is at his church. Now, I'm exaggerating. I'm using a bit of hyperbole. But that's the pattern. That's, that's the pattern. Uh, the, 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 there's this pressure to think that the authentic gospel ministry is accompanied by a life that is smooth and perfect. Well, of course, we must pursue making disciples. We must pursue church growth. And I think we all long for outward blessing. Thanking God for every good gift. But I see something different here. 
I see an attitude and approach in this passage where Paul is unashamed and open about the uphill battles in life and ministry. Admitting, verse 11, we have spoken freely to you. Our heart is wide open. We're not hiding anything. We, we have gone through difficulties. We are going through difficulties. But the point is, by demonstrating endurance through hardship, after hardship, it's more co- convincing about authentic God-wrought ministry. Grace not received in vain as the evidence of the intended outcome is clear. And the point, the point, and I hope I'm making this clear this morning, the evidence is that God is seen to be at work giving ability beyond human expectation, beyond human ability. And so Paul doesn't need to hide his hardship. It's okay to say that I'm struggling. It's okay to say that we're going through a particular difficulty. We know even Paul saying to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. We don't have to pretend with everybody that everything is always going perfectly well. Because it isn't. It doesn't. Faith is tested. But faith is not evaporated. Not real faith. It is refined as gold, demonstrating the greatness of of God's grace. He can say confidently to these Corinthians that their ministry, the apostles' ministry to them, has not been an obstacle to them. The problem is that they have not opened their hearts to saving grace. Paul and his co-workers have been faithful messengers, ambassadors for Christ, and they've unashamedly declared the gospel, the message. You're not restricted by us, he says in verse 12. No, we we proclaim the truth with integrity. You're restricted in your own affections. Widen your hearts also. Be transparent. Be honest. Receive grace, not in vain. It will achieve its intended purpose. And so, folk, I think it's important to ask uh, grace, grace received, the nature of grace received. Is it like a pirate car part where it looks like the real thing, but it's actually nothing like the one made by the manufacturer? Or is it the real thing, evidenced by endurance through thick and thin through what feels like a blizzard of hardship that doesn't seem to end. And we need to know in the midst of that, God is our refuge and strength. God will keep you. God will carry you. The song we sang before we uh, started preaching here this morning, He will hold you fast. He will never leave you. Be encouraged in difficulty. He will not forsake you. And, and, And your response will speak volumes of the, of, of the greatness of the grace of God to others. And so, Lord, I pray that indeed we would be those who know daily, not just the, the presence of your Spirit, Lord, but the power of your Spirit through us, uh, Lord, in us, uh, molding us, producing in us these virtues of grace, and also, Lord, communicating to others the good news of the gospel 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Help us, Lord, to endure. Help us to rest in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.